Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host once again, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here talking about this week's UFC event, uh, UFC event going down at the Madison Square Garden in New York, New York. UFC 281, headlined by a pair of title fights, Israel Adesanya versus Alex Pereira, and Carla Esparza against uh, Zhang Weili. We're talking about the prelims right now, though, with a featured prelim bout between Brad Riddell and Hanato Moicano, and a thoroughly stacked undercard that should be every... Almost every bit as much fun to watch as the main card, frankly. Yeah, it's a phenomenal card, top to bottom. There really isn't a, a single dud on here. Like, obviously, the fights get less relevant, but yeah, there's good, exciting matchmaking. A couple of uh, interesting stories that we're getting another chapter of, and uh, all the ones that truly mean nothing are, like, insanely violent looking. Yep, yep. So Should be fun. It rocks. It's a very good card. Absolutely. Uh, and this this featured prelim, Brad Riddell, Hanato Moicano. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the fight I would have booked, mm-hmm. but it uh, you know it catches both men at very interesting points in their career. Moicano having been a seeming at one point featherweight title or potential featherweight title contender on the rise. Um, who had his career pretty heavily derailed by a series of, you know, he stepped up in competition, essentially, and those step-ups took the wind out of his sails, and then he's gone back at lightweight and reinvented himself to some success. Mm-hmm. And there's still... I mean, the the RDA fight is almost unfair to really give that any too much weight because he took it on such short notice. Yeah, it was like five days or something, right? Yeah. But he's otherwise, you know, there's still some obvious hitches left over in his game from the knockout losses he suffered suffered to Jose Aldo and Chan Sung Jung and then Rafael Fizev. Yeah. Um that he's been working to overcome and try and turn himself into a potent lightweight threat as well. And then on the other side, we have Brad Riddell, who also, he looked the part of a lightweight top contender for a while, opening his UFC career with four straight wins. And then uh, he ran into the style matchup that we all wanted to see, which was that fight with Rafael Rafael Fiziev and then a style matchup I absolutely didn't want to see, which was that fight with Jalen Turner. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's very much a who can actually recover some of the momentum that they've lost over time. Yeah, it's a a strange sort of crossroads. Yeah. Um, And I don't find it particularly easy to predict because on the one hand... Brad Riddell is a great counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. He's also somewhat hampered by the fact that he is just a counterpuncher. Uh, like he's so purely uh, involved in that style. Yeah, I mean he does 
he does lead. He does throw strikes to yeah, open exchanges. Kind of bad at it. Yeah, yeah, he's that's the thing. Undeniably worse technically. His mechanics are very iffy. Like everything about his style is designed. Everything about his uh, technique is designed to suit what is clearly like psychologically his innate style. Yeah, which is to bait opponents to let them come on to his strikes to to sort of let frequently taller opponents like sacrifice their own reach advantage because they have to they have to come after him and then to just wreck them with yeah. accurate um excellent boxing combinations when they close the gap yeah and um so you know like that on its face should be bad for mercano because mm-hmm. like mercano's got uh in in the sort of the whole first layer of Moicano's striking is pretty solid. Yeah. In that he's, you know, a great low kicker. He's got a jab that he uses a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as that range collapses, there's very questionable defense and durability. Yeah. And and more and more, it seems like something he, he knows about himself, which is always yeah the worst possible thing to happen to a striker yeah. or to a fighter in general is to 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 know what your weaknesses are and to have not fixed them because you know right. but to just know yeah as we sort of talked about on the main card like the the, the curse of, of of self-knowledge which yeah in any other context should just be a uh a, a, a great boon for any fighter mm-hmm. but uh, in mma like maybe it's best to to go on deceiving yourself in some ways mm-hmm. and um <laughs> It's hard not to look at a fight like Moicano's uh, with Korean Zombie. Mm-hmm. Not think like, well, doesn't he just like throw a jab and get decked? Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets slipped and he just gets destroyed with a single punch. That could happen. But Riddell is such a counterpuncher. Um, he really doesn't tend to take a lot of chances early. Well, is it? I mean, he's famous for getting like nearly knocked out in the first round of every fight. Is it because yeah, he's not taking he lets... chances, or is it because he's taking, he's pushing chances early before he's really in a position to counter? Well, what I mean is, yeah, I guess there's there's a couple ways you could interpret that. I mean, what I mean is, <clears throat> he lets the opponent do whatever they want to do early. Yeah, and it's um... he's usually doing it within striking range, though. Like he's yes. not. He's not one of those fighters who's like, oh, he doesn't take a lot of chances early because he's sitting way outside and just kind of fainting and feeling things out. No, he's usually pushing right into somebody's face early and and it's a without of, he hasn't keyed in his counters yet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. The, 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 you know, this it's a way of taking chances. He's not seizing opportunities early. Yeah. Uh, and he is, because of his style, affording <clears throat> those opportunities, those moments to his opponents. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Moicano has like a huge frame and and has long range weapons, and um, has a diverse skill set as well. Can test yeah. Riddell's wrestling. Doesn't seem like it would be a downfall. Riddell has proven to be quite a good wrestler. Yeah, but um, it's enough variety to uh to threaten a guy like Riddell and to make him uncomfortable. And I also think that Moicano might have some success here cycling between uh sort of aggressively using his reach and then just like 
scoring a couple shots and saying to Riddell, okay, you, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to kick you now and then mm-hmm. from range. You come after me. Yeah. And Riddell's not very good at that. And Moicano himself, pretty basic, but uh, in terms of like timing and distance, is not himself a bad counterpuncher. Yeah. He's pretty good at it, actually, and, and also throws in combination and is uh, is accurate. And there's a lot more distance for a guy like Riddell to cover who has this sort of positional weakness where he's like permanently heavy on his front foot. Uh, which is great when you're coming on to him and he has that space behind his head where he can pull back and still be over his feet and then punish you. But when he has to come forward, he kind of puts himself in no man's land the moment he commits to a strike because he's already as far forward in his stance as he can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a very awkward pressure fighter and uh, possibly susceptible to not just Moicano's counter punches, but possibly his, uh, his counter takedowns as well. Moicano can also time a really good reactive double. Yeah, and it, he he also is good with like you know the the sort of more jujitsu-y upper body clinch and trip takedowns, which yeah. might be a that might throw a bigger wrench into um, Riddell's game than right. the more traditional wrestling takedowns. You can stuff a shot, but what if you yeah. leave a window where I you know take your back standing the classic jujitsu uh, workaround to. Yeah. Not actually completing the takedowns, not necessarily having to complete the takedowns. Yeah, or even, I mean, just like we've seen, you know, Charles Oliveira do for over over and over and over as an excellent wrestler. Just, yeah, what if you're used to being defending, digging under hooks from your waist and get, you know, overcoming a double leg? What if I'm just under your armpits and you can't dig a double leg and I'm just tripping you from there, you know? And possibly Moicano could find some success in clinches as well. Yeah. I mean, he's aggressive there and he's tall. Yeah. So um, I think there's a lot of chances for Moicano here. But I also think the story of most Brad Riddell fights is uh, he just gets super dangerous the longer the fight goes on. Yeah. The better his timing gets. And like I say, he, he you know, he initiates a lot of offense that forces opponents to have to throw at him. It hurts him a lot, sure. but if it doesn't knock him out, it just gives him more fuel to fight the fight that he really wants to fight. Exactly. The longer the fight goes, the more data Brad Riddell gathers. And, and, the, more, well, and the more he forces opponents to throw at him. Like, yeah. even if it's not even, even if he's not the kind of fighter who's gathering data, and I do think, you know, he is. But even beyond that, he's just he forces more exchanges. He forces more situations where you feel like you have to punch him yeah. to keep him from punching you. And if you're punching him, then you can be countered. Yeah, he puts the information and the opportunities to use. And uh, thus far has just not been a guy that somebody has ever successfully outgrappled to a win. Yeah. So I'm going to pick Brad Riddell. But I think it's a very interesting matchup and um, not not particularly unforgiving for Moicano, even though there are a couple of like first order problems. It seems like he's bound to run into. He's going to have a lot of chance to kind of dictate a a more winning approach uh, in the first round of this battle. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of fight where if Moicano were more the fighter he was before those knockout losses. Yeah. The guy who beat Calvin Cater. Yeah. The guy who beat incredibly well-aged win. Yeah. Then in that situation, I would probably be picking him to win here. But this is like even that fight he had with Alex Hernandez himself, a bit of a head case. Yes. 
like that was still a fight where you could see Moicano have to go through it. Mm-hmm. He started getting lit up. And when he started getting lit up, he started to shut down. Yep. And he was kind of saved by the round ending. And then Hernandez having to go out and try to reassert his game. Mm-hmm. And Moicano being the guy who could collect himself quicker because Hernandez. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe that works. Like. Yeah, but the I thing I'm shutting say- down is the is the the end of the fight against Riddell. The guy let no. uh, what's his name, Australian fighter, Jamie Malarkey. He let Jamie Malarkey hang around for three rounds just because he was defending. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't finish people when he, he has to make the fight happen. And if Moicano gets a round break to to kind of recover and figure out what he needs to do, but the thing is, is that. From round to round, Brad Riddell is not going to... He is not going to have to go and figure out what he's doing again. No. That's what happens with Hernandez. With Hernand. He's never starting from... Only in the round one is he starting from square one. Yeah. He, he has and, figured things out that he will apply. Yeah. So if I'm picking who's going to be... Who is going to be rallying from one round to the next better... Like, seeing Moicano do it once recently does not give me as much faith as seeing Brad Riddell do it all the time. You know? Brad Riddell has all sorts of bad rounds and comes back, and he's always better the next round. Moicano, yeah, he did it once against Hernandez, who is very likely himself to break under pressure. But, uh, yeah, I gotta pick Riddell. I just... I still don't have enough faith that Moicano, you know, you can't shut down like that regularly in fights and have it be like, oh, yeah, no, 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 it's fine. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll survive and, and rally back. Yeah. Uh, Moicano is the very slight favorite here. Opened at minus 110, down to minus 124. Riddell opened at minus 110, currently at plus 101. I'm a little surprised, frankly. I'm also a little surprised by that. That's a little too what have you done for me lately. Yeah. Like, odds makers like that uh, clear disregard of how style matchups work. Moicano, he has all every submission he has ever gotten is a rear naked choke, mm-hmm. which is never the thing that has submitted Brad Riddell. Mm-hmm. And he yeah we have seen him get sparked out by a variety not just the same but a variety of heavy-handed punchers mm-hmm. with different styles and it's really hard not to think that that physio fight won't be very instructive for Riddell because he himself has spent a lot of time in the past training with physio mm-hmm the fight he can probably learn from. So, yeah, I don't really understand making Moicano an easy favorite here. Or not, I mean, he's not even, he's not even an easy favorite, just a favorite, honestly. Yeah. And I still think it should be relatively close, but I think yeah. Adele should definitely be favored. It's just a more reliable fighter. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Dominic Reyes, Ryan Spawn. And um, a 
light heavyweight has been delivering lately. This is this looks like such a light heavyweight fight. Yeah. Like this is if it were any division other than light heavyweight, I'd be like, oh yeah, you picked Dominic Reyes. There's no question. Yeah. Um he has had his hard times lately. They have been against very good, like very dangerous fighters who could pick apart or break down his game in unique ways that most other opponents can't. You know, Yuri Prashazka can put a, a type of sustained pressure on an opponent that most other fighters cannot. Jan Blahovich only one Yuri Prokoska. Yeah, there's only one. Jan Blahovich is, you know, he's one of the best kick checkers out there, one of the best uh low kickers himself in the division. He could hobble and force Reyes out of a kickboxing battle in a way most fighters can't. And at the very least, Reyes is equal as a counterpuncher with yeah, the tools to not let Reyes just rely on his own counterpunching game where he's yeah. losing at range unless he's trying to make the action happen. Yeah. Ryan Spahn, the thing, the difference, the only thing at being this being light heavyweight is that everybody is just really dangerous. Yeah. And Ryan Spahn is absolutely making great use as a six foot five dude with an 81 and a half inch reach of being really dangerous. Mm-hmm. He is still operating on a pretty fundamental make the fight le- make the fight messy, see what shakes out of it level. I don't know if there's any choice in that matter. Yeah, I mean, he, he will have moments where he will just kind of sit down on a really sharp one-two, and you're like, ooh, that's nice. Man, he could do a lot of that. That'd be great. Or he'll have moments where he'll hit like a really nice double leg. You're like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. And then you watch his fight with Iwan Kudalaba. (laughs) And he basically just smacks into Kudalaba four times in two minutes. And off of one of those times, jumps on a guillotine. Yeah, literally because Kudalaba, who has been largely taking him down and crushing him on the floor. Yeah. Um, like, Spawn finally escapes to take that, and Kudalaba is so irritated <laughs> that he flings himself on his face, missing a punch. That's how hard yes. he's trying to hit Ryan Spawn for daring to get up from the last takedown. Yeah. just demands that Spawn guillotine him. And yeah, every Kudalaba t- is a treasure. <laughs> yeah. He really is. And every time Kudalaba would take him down, Spawn would like kick off and get up, but then he would just go and launch himself similarly yeah. at Kudalaba. Just like a huge lunging punch into a takedown where he would end up on his knee attempt where he'd end up on his knees, a squ- like clinched up with Kudalaba 50-50 and get taken down himself. And please, please take me down is very similar to please counterpunch me. Yeah. So this really should be a fight that Dominic Reyes can win. Yes. But Spawn will just go out there and throw stuff at him and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it could be that he'll knock knock Reyes out or submit him. You know, it's light heavyweight. Reyes's game, he got to the top with a very, very thin game. Mm-hmm with a counter-punching style 
based on a minimal amount of leading offense. Really like jabs and low kicks to draw you on to counter punches. And that's it. Not a lot of defensive movement. Not a lot of variety in what he throws. And really depending on those counter punches to do to tip the scale in his favor. So, you know, you make the fight a little wild on Reyes. You don't know what's going to shake out. You know, you you get like Yuri Prashaska just go that goes out there and makes the fight wild, albeit in a way that only Prashaska can. But it pretty clearly, you know, it really quickly flustered Reyes. Yeah. Well, and, not that quickly. I thought it was a pretty <laughs> courageous effort from him. It was. It, I mean, it was courageous, but it was courageous in the face of you could see how unhappy he was about it. Yeah, I don't think Spawn is actually capable of making Reyes that unhappy. I don't think he is. The entries are going to be ten times messier, with ten times as many openings, and ten times less ability to absorb the strikes those openings afford. Yeah. So, like, yeah, Dominic Reyes has had some troubles. What a fall from grace. I mean, the man should have been champion. Yeah. And now he's been, you know, finished twice in a row. But unless Spawn gets really lucky early, uh, Reyes should be able to take him apart at the seams. Yeah. It's just light heavyweight. So it's just that. Yeah. There is that chance. Like anybody in this division, it is a division defined by its power and its size and its speed and not its durability. Yes. But Reyes is such a cool fighter and pretty unique in this division. I would love to see him bounce back and yeah, and uh, reassert himself as a contender because he he can do things a lot a lot of the other light heavyweights can't. Reyes is the favorite here. Opened to minus one ninety five, dropped to minus two twenty. Currently down at minus two twenty one. Spawn opened at plus one seventy, jumped up to plus one eighty one. Currently plus one seventy nine. Yeah, that's. That's reasonable considering where Reyes is right now. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Molly McCann, Aaron Blanchfield. And, um, yeah, if this were... <sighs> Blanchfield is a little bit like Puelas uh, for me, just a little. Yeah. Where, like, it makes more sense in her case because she's at women's yeah. flyweight. She's at women's flyweight and she's a really dedicated puncher. She really believes in how hard she can hit people and in stepping into the pocket with strikes to do it. So it makes a lot more sense that she steers fights into her favor. But from fight to fight, it feels like a little bit of a mystery what's making each fight work for her. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of her just clashing into people and being like, well, I've kept my I've kept my focus on my aggression better in these 10 clashes than you have. So I'm going to win. Yeah. That being said, Molly McCann's uh, three fights, all of which have been pretty awesome, mm-hmm. uh, have been in one way or another kind of gimmies. Yes. Like these are not well-rounded opponents. These are opponents who can break, be broken with pressure. And these are opponents who largely have, uh, whether because of stylistic limitations or lack of technique or both, no choice but to strike with you. 
Yeah. And it's hard not to wonder if Blanchfield won't reverse that trend when you look at, say, McCann's fight with Laura Procopio. Mm-hmm. She just gets clinched up and taken down, I mean, seven yeah. times. Yeah. And a lot of easy takedowns. I mean, she fell prey to the the <laughs> women's MMA hip toss like three mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And Blanchfield, um, she's a decent enough wrestler. She... Um, you know, she's she she's a, a decent enough clinch wrestler. She gets back takes off of o- like overthrown punches mm-hmm. quite often. She will crash in and just grab like clinches, overhooks, underhooks, whatever, and will start messing with your balance. And she's to- clearly a great opportunist. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think McCann has yet demonstrated the ability to deny the clinch no. if it turns out to be a minefield for her. Um, so I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, McCann seems like she, she's a, a genuinely pretty solid counterpuncher. Yep. If, even if she does put herself in weird positions to find those counters, she is looking to punish people who try to crash into her and also looking to exit on angles as she throws or after she throws. And, um, yeah, Blanchfield's, you know, going to like come stumbling in overextending in her own right. She's going to be there to get hit. But she she is also, like in her fight with J.J. Aldrich, she was clearly willing to take those shots and still keep pressing for the clinches and trying to. Mm-hmm. just happens that J.J. Aldrich is herself a pretty solid clinch fighter and a better wrestler than Molly McCann has, has yet proven to be. Yep. So I don't, I don't know. I'm kind yeah, of I mean, I, to pick Blanchfield. No, I think you have to pick Blanchfield, yeah. honestly. Like McCann, when, she, when, when something arises that is a problem for McCann in a fight, it never goes away. Yeah. You know, there's no problem solving for Molly McCannon. Yeah. And unfortunately, much like Ross Pearson, she's a brawler who doesn't realize that her best, her best, the best things she gets done are on the back foot. Yep. So she presses a lot and walks herself into danger a lot over, overthrows, overextends, Sets herself up to get taken down really easily. Sets herself up to get countered really easily herself. It would be super cool if this was the mature Molly McCann performance we've been waiting for, where she just, like, goes in there and and is slick. And just Just jab and stay on the back foot and make Blanchfield come to her all the time. Yeah, Blanchfield's got a clinch, and she's got to have, like, even a pretty good entry to the clinch to convert it. Like, yeah. Just keep her moving forward, keep her running into shots, hit her an angle off, rinse and repeat. But it seems much more likely that McCann will come out looking to throw heat, looking to move forward, get wrapped up really quick and get taken down. And from there, you know, you have to be a really notably bad wrestler for Molly McCann to get out of those positions. Yeah. So she feels notch. Again, she looks by the standards of this division. Like a, a decent enough wrestler. Yeah. And she's just a great opportunist everywhere. McCann will give opportunities. She, That's the true. big deciding factor of that fight with JJ Aldrich, a fight that, uh, you know, uh, Blanchfield was losing most of, yeah. really, was that she just kept a really clear head. And the moment, the moment Blanchfield, or the moment uh, Aldrich slipped up once, she jumped on her and tapped her out. You know, so Molly McCann, or Molly can't uh, 
she doesn't keep herself controlled that way to that degree. No. I mean, if anything, her recent performances have given her plenty of incentive to be more yeah. than ever. Yeah. She's been wrecking people. Yep. But they are fighters who, you know, they're not opportunistic. They're not, they, they will just have the same exchange over and over if you press them for that exchange. Yep. Hannah Goldie is a miserable striker, in fact. Yeah. Molly goes for her third spinning elbow in a row and gets her back taken and submitted. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Odds on the bout. Blanchfield is a heavy favorite here. Opened at minus 500. It's currently at minus 403. McCann opened at plus 375. Dropped down as low as plus 206. Is currently up at plus 304. Yep. I get it. I I still like, like I said, it's still like the little bit of mystery with Blanchfield for me. Just because it is so much of a like, I am just going to smash into you over and over and over again and see what shakes out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's not like I said. That's how do you repeat that every fight? It's a bit like she's like a flyweight Drakus Duplessy. <laughs> yes, you know where I'm watching. I'm just like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Why? Why you do? No, no. What? What? What is? What is this? But if you've got the toughness and the hard-headedness to do it and you've got the, the clarity of and the vision to to see your chances when they come mm-hmm. you know mma is not such a technical and uh proficiently deep sport across you know for most fighters across its many disciplines that they can get away without making they can get through constant exchanges without making a lot of exchange or a lot of mistakes yeah, yeah. And compared to other combat sports, MMA's defining characteristic is its unpredictability. So like yeah. just being there, being ready for opportunities. And creatively every division like, will be a somewhat functional approach. Like she had like four head clashes with JJ Aldrich in that yeah. fight. Because she's just slamming into her. And like if you're creating that those that kind of chaos, stuff will shake out. Yeah. So All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Andre Petrosky, Wellington. Did we get odds for McCann? Uh, yeah, I, I read them. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, McCann's at plus 300, Blanchfield minus 400. Okay, well, all right. Middleweight bout, Andre Petrosky, Wellington Terman. And uh, this is the dud. Yeah. This is the one closest thing to a dud on the card. Although, I mean, if it lasts more than a round, it should be really funny. Uh-huh. Because Andre Petrovsky does not know how to... He has no sense for energy conservation whatsoever. It'll be fun. Yeah. And Wellington Terman is... Um, constantly fighting from the brink of pure terror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, this is going to be a really bad first round for Wellington Terman. Mm-hmm. Really bad. Petrosky throws big power overhands, hits big blast doubles, jumps on posi- jumps on submissions the moment he finds them in position, is 
just a really dangerous submission hunter. He also is like, I used to call, what was it, uh, Kevin, um, oh, what's his name? Kevin Holland, Kevin no, Lee, Kevin. Long time before middle, in, in the way distant past of middleweights. Kevin, oh, Kevin Castellum? No, it was Kevin, Kevin Casey. Kevin, oh, okay. Kevin Casey. I used to call uh-huh. Kevin Casey Muscles McJitsu. Because <laughs> he was just this like big strong guy who did jujitsu as hard as he could until he would gas out Mm -hmm. and then you know if he didn't get if he didn't beat you with that immediately he would melt down almost as quickly Mm -hmm. and that andre petrosky has taken that mantle from him he is 100 percent that dude um so yeah will the thing with wellington terman is He's never actually been submitted. Mm-hmm. For as much panic as he feels like he gets in, as much as like Misha Serkinov was just like dribbling his head off the canvas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as much as he was out there like poking Sam Alvey in the eyes and all that, like he's gone, like he dove right in against Marcus Perez. And came out with a win. And, like, that doesn't seem like a lot now because Perez lost his way out of the UFC. But Perez was, you know, he subbed Anthony Hernandez and Ian Heinish. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a really dangerous grappler to tangle with. I think I'm going to pick Wellington Terman. <laughs> I think he's just going to survive a round, a really devastating round. And then he'll have more left in the tank. Yeah. Uh, God, it's so stupid. Right? <laughs> it's such a stupid fight. I, yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, there's just a plant chance that even gassed, Petrosky just blast doubles him every round. I mean, that's the thing. Petrosky gasses, but he doesn't seem to know it. He, he kind, I mean, he, he does kind of just keep go keep doing the same things. Yeah. I mean, he knows it, but he's just like, what other options does he have? Right. You know? He can't. He he is a functionally not. He is not a functional enough striker to try and be a, a gassed out striker after he's already really tired. Yeah. Like he, he has to just go out there and hit. Like keep wrestling. Yeah. Okay. I'll take Terman too. To to have his worst fears realized and just sort of accidentally find himself in a winning position. <laughs> I mean, you know, we did it with uh, Misha Serkinov. Yeah. Arm hard. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. If if Misha Serkinov, yeah, he he really should have beaten Wellington Terman. It just chanced him for a round. Yeah, I guess it it just isn't enough anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Wellington Terman, why not? I agree. Uh, take take Andre Petrosky if you want. I'm just no, no. I, I have no reason to take Petrosky yeah. other than that he's definitely going to win the first round. But yeah, that's not a surefire path to success for him. Terman opened at plus one sixty five, got up as high as plus one seventy four. Is currently down at plus one sixty seven. 
Petrovsky opened at minus 190, dropped to minus 214, is currently back up at minus 205. Yeah, I just, you know. It's crazy that Wellington Terman is just still here. Yeah. <laughs> the guy with a split decision with Sam Alvey, which is like his first win. Uh, and, oh, no, I'm sorry. He he also beat Marcus Perez. Yeah. He got out grappled by Carl Roberson, though. Yeah. Right? Very strange career. But, I mean, Andre Petrosky got ninja choked by Brian Battle. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, and speaking of battle, Wellington Terman sounds like a Civil War general. It's a bad <laughs> he, does. he does sound like a Civil War it's a bad sign for andre so I don't, yeah i don't know whatever yeah i'll take the flyer take the sure. underdog pick odds on are we uh odds on the bout we already read so i'm gonna move on lightweight bout matt frivola atman azaitar this fight will last 30 seconds who's gonna win it <laughs> if it uh, I mean, the interesting thing is if it lasts longer than 30 seconds. Then there's no question Matt Frivola wins it. Probably. Adam. No? Yeah. Because even then, like, Azaitar doesn't, he doesn't collapse as dramatically as you expect him. It's true. It's true. I, I think that's mostly just because he's never been pushed as dramatically as he should. He, His fights that went longer uh, were against the canniest of cans who just absolutely could not pe- compete with him physically at all. Otherwise, he would have absolutely melted down. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, sh- sure, surely the the Matt Frivola is the reliable guy after the insane first round. Yeah, we have seen Frivola get into absolute wild wars, and he holds up really well when a yes. fight just gets to be a complete mess. He's just a super like resourceful guy. He, um, he he's like surprisingly astute on defense when he's like on his back foot. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly sharp counter puncher. Always has the uh, option of hitting a takedown or finding an opportunity in a in like a standing clinch and and getting to a good grappling position. Like he's just a more flexible, uh, opportunistic fighter. After the explosion in the first three minutes of the fight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I probably, but he also just gets his clock cleaned in half of those. It, um, it is worth noting. And I'm not, I don't think I'm going to pick for Vola that when he loses, it tends to be by guys who just go out there and punch him once really hard. Yeah. And that fight he had with Gennaro Valdez does not suggest anything in any way that that has changed. Just means oh. Valdez wasn't a hard enough puncher. Yeah, or just didn't get lucky enough. I mean, the thing just, is, is because there's also the fights with Jalen Turner and Lando Venata. Yeah. These are guys who punched him really hard early. And half the time he survives and is, again, just like a crafty, yeah. well-rounded fighter who feels no fear. Yeah, no, I mean, if he does survive, then I, like I say, I got to pick uh, for Vola because he can wrestle and he can take shots and he will continue brawling. He doesn't hold positions that well, but he will absolutely continue a messy pace in all areas 
to the extent that his opponents are very likely to get overwhelmed. Yeah. But he also got slept by Polo Reyes. Mm -hmm. So Altman as Itar knows what he wants to do. I think I'll side with you. Yeah. He's going to go out there and nail Frivola with a left hook as quickly as he can. Yep. I just he's, think, he's a good finisher, too. I mean, he follows up on his damage really, mm-hmm. really aggressively. He's really accurate yeah, and really comes out of the gate on on point. Reminds me, um, you know, somewhat in that respect of like, uh, oh, damn it. Who was the Afghani fighter? Hmm. Um, yeah, our favorite old man. Uh, yeah. Damn it. Shame that I'm forgetting it. Right? I feel so bad because he was all CR Bahadrazada. That's right. Who, you know, like you you watch a full CR Bahadrazada fight that he loses. You're like, this guy's a mess and he barely does anything. And then you watch every fight he wins and you're like, oh, wow, he could land a nuclear punch at any one time. Yep. And. With perfect accuracy, Our and that was awesome. I missed. Yeah, him. I do too. Yeah, it's really too bad that his career became so snake bit over the last few years of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm. I'll pick a, a, a Zaytar to remain on the UFC roster and try to smuggle more drugs into foreign countries during <laughs> UFC events. Hey, more power to him. Yeah. Allegedly, allegedly. Mm-hmm. I love that they tried to cut him and his brother like immediately after that happened. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think I'm pretty sure like the Moroccan government, you know, some some incredibly rich person that is backing their career just intervened in the UFC. He's like, oh, you know, actually, after we reviewed the case, that <laughs> suspicious uh, bag they snuck through hotel security was totally fine. Mm-hmm. They're back in. It's all good. I almost forgot about that whole scandal. Right? Just because it was efficiently swept under the rug. Yep. Azaitar opened to minus 125. Oh, jumped up to plus 131. It's currently down at minus 124. Matt Frivola opened at plus 105, dropped to minus 152, and it's currently plus 101. Uh, yeah, I get it. I mean... I would say Frivola should be the favorite here because the further this fight goes, the more the increasing the likelihood that he'll win it. Yep. But we have seen him lose exactly this fight before. You know, I don't know that uh, Terrence McKinney is any cleaner a striker than Atman Zaitar. No. Might even be less so. But yeah. he just went out and immediately slept Matt Frivola immediately. All right, that brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Carolina Kowalkiewicz, uh, Kowalkiewicz against Silvana Gomez-Juarez. And um, is this me? Yeah, this is them. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this should be a fight that Kowalkiewicz wins. Uh, she looked... She looked like she, her, her fight with Felice Herrig, 
at least showed a fighter who knew what made her get her strike her game work mm-hmm. and wanted to do it again mm-hmm. and that had been missing for a while. anything else she just she had her clearly had confidence in herself i think she gained confidence in herself yeah i don't know that she had it I think that fight gave her confidence in herself. She I was think really she, immensely relieved. When it was yes, over. she was immensely relieved when it was over, and when she was on her feet, I could I felt like I could still see a lot of her her convincing herself. No, I have to walk through this. Yeah, I I have to sit down and walk through this and initiate clinches and pressure and walk this person down. I'm going to eat the shots and I'm going to be okay eating the shots. That's fine. I have to, I've convinced myself this is okay again. And like, you know, like we say, when she got the win, it was like, Oh my God, it worked. Mm -hmm. Thank God. I've been able to get back to doing what I do. Mm -hmm. Once again, the dangers of self-knowledge for fighters. Once she found out she was mortal, it yeah. broke something in her. It really did. And that is a, a little difference. Or it's a little bit of a problem against Gomez Juarez. Sure. Because she is a really clean puncher. When she gets a chance, when she is willing to let her hands go and to stay concentrated on her boxing and to keep the fight in control at a controlled range. Gomez Juarez is a really clean puncher. She hits really hard. Like that, that one, two, she knocked uh, Leong Na out with. There are not many straw weights who can land like that. Yeah. Clean, powerful, accurate. Yeah. There's a reason that she has, uh, you know, seven knockouts in her MMA career at straw weight. It's also a reason that she got submitted by Vanessa Demopoulos. Yes. Which is that that's all she has. Yeah. She does not. She can be taken down really easily. And her grappling game is all based off of poor submission, poor positional understanding and submission. Like just be aggressive, try to make things happen. And it's a liability. Yeah. And I think that's a very. Uh, fortunate out for Cole Cavage if things do start to get messy. Yeah. Which they will. I mean, she, Cole yeah. Cavage's style, the reason that everything collapsed when the first time she got KO'd is that her style re- relies on her willingness to absorb damage. Yeah. She has to be tough. She has to walk through shots. She might get hurt early in this fight. Yeah. I think it's likely she will. But yep. she has always been a surprisingly deft and uh, physically imposing wrestler and grappler. Yeah, and it's worth noting, too, for as bad as her streak, her skid was, she's only been knocked out once. Yeah, it was just the one the one time that just made her realize it was possible. Yep. So, yeah, I got to take Kovalkiewicz to get the win here. But, uh, you know, I don't... I think this is kind of, like... It's a good booking for her. I think it's kind of a pointless booking for... Gomez Juarez like Mm -hmm. she got a good win in her last fight and she's got a fun style that could be brought along to be something interesting Mm -hmm. she's but you know she's just even for a fighter who well I guess there is that I was gonna say 
She's got, to, you know, she, her her game needs to be evolved, even for a fighter who's been around for a while. But she's thirty seven too, so yeah. I guess at this point, having been around for a while, being thirty seven, it is a good booking actually in that sense because it's like you're either going to win this kind of fight now or it's never going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. If, uh, and if Carolina wins, I don't. Then care. she's putting a little speech any... together. Yeah. What's that? Oh yeah, you don't care if it makes any sense. You want to see your fight Rose Nami Yunus. Absolutely. Rose deserves it. If if Rose is capable of collapsing that badly in a rematch against a fighter as unimposing as Carlos Barza, she deserves to face her worst fears and fight somebody who actually decisively beat her. Yeah. Well, I sorry. That's what you get. I'm merciless when it comes to Rose. I had to watch that fight four goddamn times. <laughs> I'll never forgive her. <laughs> you know, I'd love to. I'd I'd love to say I'm still a Rose fan, but I will never forgive her. It's over. I'm glad though that 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 experience made you not hate me. Although I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always blame women. That's my go-to strategy. <laughs> blame the woman, the nearest woman who's around when I'm having an unfortunate experience. That which fault. that which brought you to suffer on this earth. Yep. For the short time that that you've been allotted. Yeah. How dare boys. you, mommy? I mean, Miss Nami Yunus. <laughs> Shit. That was that was an obvious one, wasn't it? Damn it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Kovalevich is a slight favorite here. Opened at minus one seventy, jumped right up to minus one ten. Currently minus one fourteen. Gomez Juarez opened at plus one forty-five, dropped to minus one ten. Currently minus one oh eight. All right, uh, that brings us to a featherweight bout, Michael Trezano, Sungwoo Choi. And, uh, it's a fun matchup. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good one. It's, it's a good problem-solving matchup for Trezano because he has big problems and he has not been finding solutions. Likewise for Sungwoo Choi, I mean. Yeah. This is a guy who really seemed to be picking up a huge head of steam in this division and then, like, had everything his way and made one critical error against Alex Caceres, one which, despite very little in the fight going the way I thought it would, I'm still proud to have called the specific finishing sequence <laughs> a a lifelong opportunist just sort of cheating his way into a back take. Mm-hmm. And then against uh, Josh Kulabau. That was a bad showing from some. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, here's a guy who's like, he's long, he's powerful, he's accurate, got quick hands. And um, in a very, I guess, sort of Hinata Moikano kind of way, is a maybe more more willing, more aggressive counterpuncher than he is necessarily a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy who, he's got the timing of a good counterpuncher. He's got the awareness of distance he's got the right sort of triggers of a counterpuncher but then you see somebody like Kulabau who's just willing to stand in the pocket with him and to force the pocket on him again and again mm-hmm. and just punch with him and you find out that actually these are pretty rote combinations and there is no awareness of defensive opening yeah that so and then Sungwoo Choi just completely collapses yeah the fight goes on like the moment he starts getting hurt uh, it turns out that, yeah, he's just a slightly more sophisticated brawler because he just, like, has to keep pressing exchanges that are just going worse and worse for him. 
and just flailing and getting knocked down and hurt over and over. Um, yeah. Cool about with a pretty straightforward approach and a pretty basic boxing game was just able to make Sung Wu Choi look like a mess. Said Kulabai is also, we've talked about it before, several times before, pretty clever dude when it comes he's to... He's well prepared, and yeah, that is not something uh, you can say about Trezano. He's much no. more... Uh, even if he has sort of uh, surprised me in like growing in his style, mm-hmm. he is much more contained to his style of fighting. Not nearly yeah. as flexible as Kulabai. Yeah. And one of the big problems for him has been that increasingly as he has become a more, you know, uh, technical jabber, become a, trying to learn more and more of that Tiger Schulman sort of like patient outfighter style, he's become really low output. Yeah, I mean, well, the weird, you know, he was always kind of low output. If anything, I'd say he's been more... If, uh, consistently aggressive in his recent fights, but it's clearly still something he's that's not really natural to him. He's been like making himself be aggressive against yeah. Dawadu and against um what's his name? Uh Almeida. Almeida. Um but it has been really grappling with like the the innate discomfort he has with that because the these are guys who will punish you. You mm-hmm. step in, and then you can just see that it's his his low output tendency is is there for a reason. He doesn't yeah. want to just give the opponent clean strikes. He doesn't want to have to have messy exchanges. Um, I think he's improved his strike selection. He's improved his like determination to keep his jab working and to create exchanges. But uh, he doesn't look like smooth or comfortable in them. Yeah. So. I think I'm taking Sun Wu Choi. As yeah, that's... bad as he looked against Kulabau, as much of like an exposing defeat as that should have been. He um, he just, he I can't still... trust Trezano to fight that fight. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 if he doesn't, then Sun Wu Choi is super sharp and dangerous in that first layer that Trezano just seems to get stuck in. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Trezano is going to get walloped really hard early on, and then just be kind of. Probably still having plenty of success, landing his jabs, landing his low kicks, but not able to force the kind of exchanges that actually make uh, Sung Woo Choi uncomfortable. Yeah. And a Sung Woo Choi who gets to hang out at range and blast you when you step in kind of at his leisure is st- still, I assume, a very good, effective fighter. That means that I never have to see that damned cowboy hat of his, though. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be pleased. <laughs> That is probably we talked recently about wanting to see more interesting hats in the UFC. <laughs> that is that is the that is the the edge of that argument. That is the denier. That is the great reason to be a hat to to ban all hats because that is the <laughs> the ugliest piece of headwear I have ever seen on God's green earth. <laughs> Yeah, no fedoras, no cowboy hats. <laughs> not, gonna... Maybe some cowboy hats, but not that cowboy hat. There is something like the the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's hat, hat in uh, Power of the Dog has more dignity than <laughs> Mike Trezano's cowboy hat. Yeah, it's like 10 times worse than Cowboy Cerrone's Budweiser hat. 
It is way worse. It's atrocious. It, it is literally, it is a hat only a stripper would wear. <laughs> it's a stripper's hat. Mostly because she gets to take it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. Hank Williams Jr. would be embarrassed to be seen in that hat. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Toby Keith would be embarrassed to wear that hat. <laughs> and for God's sake. That's right. <laughs> Chris Gaines, maybe not, but Toby Keith would be caught dead in that hat. Oh. It was Chris Gaines, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, odds on the fight. Sung Woo Choi is the favorite. Opened at minus 180. Jumped up to minus 155. Currently out at minus 166. Trezano opened at plus 155. Dropped to plus 135. He's currently down at plus 136. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Julio Arce, Montel Jackson. And journey um, through the largest fighters the bantamweight division has to offer yeah. continues for Mr. Yeah. Arce. <laughs> yeah, you thought cutting uh, weight was going to help? Nope. Here's nope. a giant freak. <laughs> uh, this is. I don't. I don't. Montel Jackson is a bit like. Uh, oh. What was I thinking of this? He He's a fighter that... I don't even know where I was going with this comparison, but he's a fighter that... You saw all, you see all the component parts when Montel Jackson first hit the UFC. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, man. Yeah. This is a prospect. This is a good athlete, a great wrestler, a sharp striker, learning the basics, you know? putting it all together. And four years later, he's the exact same guy. Mm-hmm. Only now he's 30. And an indictment, I think of the quality, the quality of, uh, MMA that a guy with Montel Jackson's potential has just not changed at all. Yeah. And it, you know, to be fair to him, He'd only been fighting for a year when he got to the UFC. So yeah. he's, he's still only five years into his career. There's still room for growth. There's this still is not a, This is not a, you know, as we've said numerous times recently, this is not a great place to actually have to be growing yeah. and improving as a fighter, but he's been winning. Like, yeah. there have been opportunities for him to build on what he can do, and really he doesn't seem to have added anything. Yeah, and a big thing is just none of his none of the parts seem to connect. Still, yep, he can wrestle with people really well. You know, hit good takedowns, but if he gets in prolonged wrestling and grappling battles with people, he starts to lose them. Like the depth to his grappling still is not there. He almost got subbed in the first round by JP Bays. Yeah. And he had multiple moments where Felipe Kolarish, in a fight where he was just crushing Kolarish, would be was able to just like rally back and hang with him, mm-hmm. mostly due to prolonged grappling exchanges. And 
And then as a striker, he still doesn't have a lot of confidence in his striking. So he'll pop out a clean one-two and it hits really hard. But there's no like, oh, okay, now I'm just going to like, I'm going to sit at the edge of the pocket and pop, you know, throw another. Or I'm going to get in and like work the body and move to the head. Here's a big combo. It's just like, no, there's a one-two. Then maybe back to some front kicks to keep range and distance and then we'll reset. Or I'm just going to duck in on a takedown and try to get to get out of that range as fast as possible. And, you know, it, it, it led to, you know, it, both times when he's met somebody he couldn't out-wrestle easily, it's led to losses. Yeah. And it's hard to say whether or not uh, Julio Arce is quite at that level of wrestling as Brett Johns and uh, Ricky Simone, but he's a very good wrestler. He's a very complete fighter. He, does, he rarely is ever a guy to just get, like, held down by anybody. When he's tended to, when he's lost in the last few years, it's been because somebody could outstrike him uh, standing, either for volume or for power. Montel Jackson might be able to do it for power, but I don't think he can do it for volume, and I just don't trust that he's going to be able to take Arce down and hold him down. Yeah. So I think Arce can edge this one out. He can get I through. Think, I think he might look pretty good. I mean, I think Montel Jackson is essentially Andre Ewell. Andre, the thing with Ewell is, though, that there were, Ewell not only couldn't, you know, had no interior game, but no wrestling game at all. It was really, sure. are you stuck at range against Andre Ewell? And even at range, he, you know, it was a pretty one-dimensional fight. Yeah. Um, I think Jackson can probably land some pretty good strikes to make him seem like he's in this fight sometimes at range, and then he can change things up with maybe get a takedown or two. But I just think, you know, Arce will be able to scramble back up, and then we'll be able to fill too much of the rest of the round with his own offense. So. Yeah, and Ar- Arce, if anything, has just been getting better. Yeah. Last year's his career just been increasingly sharp and consistent as a striker. Great footwork, great counters. Yeah. Um just takes whatever opening is is offered to him and doesn't like try to force any issue too much. You know, navigates the cage really well. I mean, yeah, he's he's just got all of the uh all of the little finer points of striking that uh, Jackson hasn't even come close to incorporating over these four or five years. Yeah, the really the big thing would be power, but Jesse Strader and JP Bays are made to be dialed up. Yeah. Those were fights absolutely made for Montel Jackson, even, you know, just being fast and clean to knock yeah. these guys out. Yeah. And, and also a correction, I because I was just watching it. Uh Jackson almost got subbed twice by JP Bays in the yeah. first round of their fight. Yeah. Bad luck. And Arce is, you know, Song Yudong cleaned his clock, but yeah. And Shaman Marias knocked him down, but those are really consistent, huge punchers yeah. in a way that uh, Jackson is not. Yep, and better technically too. Like yeah, they're similarly powerful, but actually kind of good at striking. <laughs> yeah. 
makes it interesting here is that Montel Jackson is a pretty decent favorite with no movement on the line. Jackson opened at minus 150, dropped to minus 205, and is currently at minus 212. That line has not really changed at all. Arce opened at plus 130, jumped up to plus 175, and is currently plus 171. Yeah, yeah. I think Arce should be, uh, if anything, a slight to healthy favorite. Yeah, I mean, I get that he's got more losses, but, um, you know, there's kind of a level of competition thing here where, I mean, you know, Jackson Jackson did beat Brian Kelleher, who beat Arce twice. So you can say, well, they've got, you know, one common opponent that was able, had Arce's number regionally and that Jackson was able to, to uh, pick apart. But Kelleher has always been a fighter who can, like, fall to pieces in the in the opening frame of about if you go after him yeah or if you can surprise him with speed and power which jackson did and then yeah otherwise like andre sukumta felipe Kalarish, jesse strader jp bays they're just you know they're not nearly the same quality as the fights that uh arce has been having with Song Yadong and Hakeem Dawadu and Shaman Marais, or even like a Julian Arosa and Daniel Tamer and Dan Ige. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got to I got to take Arce here, and I think it's especially a good look for him to have that fight with Daniel Santos, where Santos just tried to pressure and go after him recklessly the whole time, and Arce was. Way too clean and consistent off the back foot all the way through. So even if Montel Jackson does go out and does try to put stuff together and stay on Arce, at this point in Arce's career, like he's, you know, showing that he is consistent enough in his style that he can really handle that. Agreed. That brings us to our final bout of the card, light heavyweight fight. Carlos Ulberg, Nikolai Negomarianu. Woo! And I mean this will be fun. Light heavyweight. Light, Light. heavyweight. <laughs> it's it's the it's the most consistently even with bantamweight. It has been the most consistently entertaining division. Yeah. For like the last 8 months. Yeah. Every light heavyweight booking has just been stupid stupid fire. Yeah. And uh I mean this there's really only one question to ask in this fight. And I don't think the answer is yes. And that question is, is Carlos Olberg actually better yeah. than he was against uh, Kennedy Nzichukwu? Yeah. I don't think the is answer is he just yet. the embodiment of all the worst parts of Israel Adesanya's <laughs> style and mindset? Yeah. I mean that that fight with Fabio Charant was me, was that bad. miserable. Like, and not just bad in that, like, oh, Olberg, you uh, you fought safe and you should have pressed the issue. Not just bad in the sense that it was boring. Bad in the sense that if Fabio Charant was even slightly better or slightly luckier, very likely would have won. Yeah, because Olberg has. He, he, he found out against Njechukwu that he has no defense. Mm-hmm. 
And then he has replaced that with just like an unwillingness to engage. Yeah. So that when the opponent just comes in, it's like, I hope I hit you with my first counter because otherwise I still have no defense. Yeah. And, and then the, just letting you dictate with no defense. Then the fight with Nchukwi afterward, he did hit him with the first counter and hurt him. And then he went absolutely bananas. Yeah. Just wild swinging, just, you know, throwing everything. And he, he, you know, he took Nchukwi out really fast. He's powerful. He's fast. He's got, you know, he's got the ability to do that. But Negumarianu is immortal. Yeah. At this point in his career so far, he is absolutely unbreakable. As Ihor Poteria found out, trying also to just go bananas on him and see if he could knock him out. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I think very likely, uh, you know, you see a really tentative Olberg early out there fainting a lot, drawing Negumarianu onto strikes. He'll probably crack him with something and it'll hurt him a little. And then he'll try to go nuts and he'll just get really tired. And Negumarianu will push him up against the fence and start breaking him down. And then you push him with winging right hands. and Yeah. Then yeah. you got to start taking Negumariano as that fight goes on. Yeah, it's possible. You know, Negumariano, of course, gets KO'd. Sure. It's going to happen to him someday. He's so hittable. He's completely yeah. reliant on his durability. But um, Olberg, we just know, like, he, he either doesn't create enough opportunities, gives his opponent too many chances, or he does pursue opportunities and then collapses. And mm-hmm. either of those is a, is a good look against a guy as insanely tough and yeah. determined and powerful as Negumari. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, his own fight within Jetchukwu, there's a the guy who broke Olberg. Yep. And uh, Negumari just would not be broken. Nope. And it, it's too, like, yeah, as you say, if Olberg does just take his foot off the gas the whole time and doesn't, try to go out and just hurt Negumarianu, Negumarianu will just take the fight to him. Yep. He'll just wing overhands and clinch up with him and press him on the fence and make the fight ugly and start hurting him and start hitting him, and he will draw the brawl out of Olberg. Yep. So. Yep, Negumarianu is the purest brawler in the UFC, and he absolutely rocks. Yeah. I, I am really glad that as terrible as his fight with Saperbek Safarov was, <laughs> that it turns out that he is incre- durable beyond all reason. Yeah. Because it makes being a wild dude who came up on the Romanian circuit with very few MMA skills but got to the UFC yeah. really fun to watch. Yeah. So far, the only way to beat Negamiranu is proven to be to have a sort of. Uh body that just like exudes pepperoni oil and yeah. <laughs> to cheat constantly <laughs> yeah, not to, to get a point deducted and just still not stop cheating yeah <laughs> bring Safarov back damn it That's right what's been happening to him yeah has he really not fought since 2020 when he got a cut from the ufc i know they ruined his life that's all he had 
Now he's just got his bridge to live under. Yep. So All right. the card is going to open with a hilarious mess, but a certified banger nonetheless. All right. On that note, uh, let's, oh, odds for the fight. Olberg is the favorite here because he's pretty and he is pretty. People are, you know, he hangs out with Israel Adesanya. Opened at minus 200, jumped to minus 127. He looks like he can do good things athletically. Mm-hmm. Currently down at minus 131. Nega Marianu opened at plus 170, dropped down to plus, minus 105, and is currently at plus 107. All right, we're going to wrap things up on that. Now you can find me on Twitter at the same time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like. Subscribe to our podcasts on Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We'll be back in one week's time for UFC uh, UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus uh, Spivak. All right. Until then, adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivisection, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>